Welcome to another episode of Ahead on Healthcare. Today, we have an amazing topic for some. It's discussing doing more with less. And this is something that across a lot of our clients in multiple industries, but in this case, specifically for healthcare, we think it's very appropriate to have a conversation. Joining Houdini and I on this call will be Tamar Baker. Tamar is CTO in healthcare for Zscaler. He has over 20 years experience specializing in cybersecurity and technology solutions. And he's assisted healthcare organizations around the country in basically helping them transform digitally and um, helping them along their, their digital transformation efforts, doing things like doing more with less. Thanks, Tamara, for joining us. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys both and everything that you do. I love your, your series and I'm excited to be here with you guys. Well, talking about doing more with less, I think if we look at the industry at large, I'm kind of a cross industry. I was reading a PwC had a study out when they kind of surveyed CEOs and I think they said nearly 40% of CEOs didn't think their companies would be economically viable a decade from now, if things continued on the current path, that's kind of scary. <laughs> In that same survey, they mentioned inflation and some of the, the microeconomic volatility that kind of stand out um, and has stood out for the last few months, kind of driving some of this uncertainty. But I think most CEOs really are focused on reducing operating costs to address some of this uncertainty. In healthcare, a lot of challenges exist with the care model and with kind of providing quality of care and doing more with less. I mean, the healthcare companies are, are being forced to, in some cases, reduce costs. They're faced with labor issues. They can't afford to lose hard to replace talent in some cases. I think I was also reading something about labor has increased in terms of the expense of labor 30, 40, 50% over the last you know year. There's a, a wholesale turnover in nursing of about 20 to 30%. So lots, lots of reasons <laughs> for considering doing more with less. But I wanted to get you guys your thoughts on what's your perspective? What are you seeing in the industry, specifically healthcare? The folks that you're talking to in healthcare, are they kind of experiencing the things I'm talking about? Or are there other things they're experiencing in terms of that's driving are forcing them to do more with less. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Any provider that's listening to this podcast is under the same type of crunch that I've seen everywhere, which is the margins are either very, very thin or negative operating still. So we are all experiencing this. There's very few providers I've talked to who have gotten over that hump and their margins have widened to pre-COVID type of margins. But right now, you named a number of those expenses and they're trying to deal with hey, do I spend more money on the next great imaging system or another DaVinci robot? Or do I put more money towards the technology stack behind it to support it, including securing it, right? So these are dilemmas that everybody's experiencing due to those really tight margins and or even negative margins. Yeah, and I'm just going to add, I think it's a good point, Jay and Tamara. What I've seen a lot of companies talking about lately is we have... 15 or 16 applications that do the exact same thing, whether it's an HR application, things like that. So I think to everyone's point, the margins pre-COVID were a lot higher. I think 
what I'm seeing now as far as margin percentage for hospital systems, at least, is around 3%. Now, pharmaceutical companies are a lot higher, but from a hospital system perspective, it's so slim. So they're trying to figure out how to operate more efficiently and not have so many different applications or uh, tools that do this exact same thing. Yeah. You know, the other thing I was thinking about, guys, is cost is an issue, but risks and compliance is also, you know, a, an escalating issue. If you think about from a cybersecurity perspective and zero trust in many ways can help with this, you know, in terms of everything from addressing some of that stolen data to ensure that things are bulletproof to streamlining security policies to improving inventory accuracy. When I think about risk and cost, zero trust is another way. If folks kind of use it the right way, they can use it to address both some of the cost side as well as some of the risk side. But I don't know, what do you you guys think? Yeah, this is where when we think of the term zero trust, it's architecture now, right? It's been so blown out of proportion and everybody thinks- I like that. I still that. It's architecture. I like that. <laughs> I mean, everybody thinks really it's it's this five-year arduous journey and, and you know, it's, gonna, yeah. it's, it's yeah. kind of pie in the sky. It's very hard to get to. But in reality, when you're doing something like do more with less, cost reduction, that type of deal- you actually get forced into picking strategic vendors to help you accomplish your needs. And, and when you're doing something like that and you're reducing all the other point products that exist out there, a byproduct actually becomes zero trust. So you end up getting much more closer to zero trust just by going through these efforts of reducing other costs. And you just naturally are locking down things and getting to that more of a zero trust state again, as a byproduct, which I love, it it doesn't have to be this arduous journey. One other thing I'll say is, since we're on the topic of zero trust, if any one vendor is ever coming to you saying, hey, you buy me and I'll get you zero trust, like that should raise so many red flags in your head because it is a multi-vendor thing. It is a culture shift. It is a, there's so much that goes into it, but in the end you do end up collapsing and, and bringing the costs down in a significant way, both from a OPEX and a CAPEX type of cost in operationalizing, so. No, I'm just thinking the same thing, you know, with zero trust, I feel like that buzzword is when Agile came out, as far as a new methodology, people just know fast and cheap. Um, (laughs) They don't understand what it really takes to be Agile versus waterfall methodology. So I think of zero trust the same way because discussions I've had with customers is yes, they want to be zero trust, but they don't want to get all the steps to get to zero trust. So. The question I have for you, Tamar, just based on your experience and what you're seeing out in the market, I mean, if someone's going to say, like, what are the first steps to get there, just so they're not using the buzzword to get budgets approved, what do you think are good steps for a customer to take? Look, before we even talk about steps from a process and technology position, like it really starts with the people. It has to be a cultural decision across many parts of the organization, everything from security to infrastructure and IT and everybody that falls under a CIO, for example, but also the culture of the organization down to your clinicians and care providers and everybody else that falls under that, right? One of the things that I've had better success with is not even calling it zero trust and not even talking about zero trust because it's got such a negative connotation. Uh, A good first step is really as you're designing and coming up with and thinking about how you want to do this is well, let's call it a modernization project or let's call it something different that people get into where when I talk to a care provider, it's like, hey, I'm actually going to streamline things for you. I'm going to make things easier for you to access and do your job. 
while also when I'm talking to a CFO, it's like preventing that ransomware demand as well as the insurance claims and reducing your cyber insurance as well as you're implementing this. That's a fantastic first step, even before you start looking at vendors or, or, or processes and technologies is really get the culture mindset in place, even using different terminology if needed. That's an interesting point for a lot of different reasons. One, because of the, the architectural <laughs> apprehension. <laughs> already using um, it. <laughs> I, I, hey, I stole it already. Behind zero trust, but in, in kind of to a point that Houdini was making, folks are afraid of, oh, I got to do all this stuff. But I think there's kind of a couple of things that folks have to balance. One, the need that they have to kind of manage costs, but also the risk of doing nothing, right? I think yeah. you can't be, uh, especially in healthcare, frozen and not do anything to kind of solidify a strategy, policies, and position on protecting patient data. So I like, I like the idea of leveraging and maybe renaming the journey to do more with less incorporating some of this stuff, maybe not calling it zero trust, but there are kind of baby steps that would be incorporated in kind of that overarching program to kind of get you to a point where you can kind of have marketable change. I think, I don't know, what do you guys think? I, th I like that idea, Cameron. I mean, it starts with the users, right? You have to get, provide your users a good experience. If, if you're not doing something that's going to provide a good user experience or if you're hindering care at all, I mean, that's a very fast way to kill a project. So that, that's where we have to have that user experience mindset first and foremost, and then start figuring out, well, how do I get to that user experience in a more secure way? Because the status quo, we can't live in the status quo. We can't cost of doing nothing or the cost of trying to just uplift existing technology that's legacy and a legacy approach to the infrastructure and, and you know, Maybe legacy is not a good word because people can be offended by that. So I'm not trying to offend anybody here if you've built your career on on that. But, uh, you know, we, we just can't continue down that path. It obviously isn't working well enough for us. We have to modernize because guess what? Those bad actors are modernizing, right? They've done you know way more innovation over the years and we need to innovate with them. And I think, you know, to the, the other point that you made, which is, I think is also interesting about the holistic side of the program that would have to be in place. Cause I think, you know, I was doing some other reading, I think on um, your uh, HBR or something had a thing on, um, on um, what folks are doing to do more with less that were non-technical, but they enabled the technical by doing the non-technical as an example, some folks were uh, investing in more in R and D and in intellectual property and and in the capabilities of their workforce. And by doing that, having that investment, you do things in the near term to kind of short circuit things that might be happening in the medium term. The other thing that they were talking about is how high performing firms tend to be more connected to things like global value chains and access to markets and talent and better collaborate with suppliers and customers. And, you know, those are kind of the higher performing folks. If you're doing those types of things, your ability to shift, to do more with less is easy, right? But if you don't, then you're going to have to kind of find those relationships and do those things that uh, you need to do both internally, externally, I think, to, to be able to move quickly. But I don't know, what are you guys... In terms of what you're seeing with clients, are there some examples of how you think 
are uh, good examples of how folks are doing more with less within healthcare? Yeah, I think what I was going to add to that too, Jay, is I think about the amount of nurses and doctors being deficient in the industry right now, doing more with less. You know, we, we talked about it on a previous podcast around remote nursing documentation. I mean, nurses and doctors are jumping ship to different uh, organizations that have the technology and have the support uh, to take care of their folks. And because of uh, nurse and doctor burnout, there's a lot less nurses and doctors working on things. And and a lot of them don't want to honestly be doing documentation at the end of their shift of uh, three 12-hour shifts in three days. So I think because of technology and just burnout in general, just since COVID, I think uh, doing more with less around the, the nursing documentation and, and doctor documentation being automated has been a, an area too, but I'd love to get Tamara's perspective. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, CIOs are kind of sick of being told they need to do more with less, but it is a reality that everybody's living with. And one of the things that I've seen, uh, actually had a CTO of a major healthcare provider system in the Northeast reach out and he's like, Hey, look, we've got this vendor, this vendor, this vendor, this, and then he was listing off all these different things. Like they were all bought because, you know, there was a pointed project for, they wanted to solve for, and everything was a, you know, great solution for those point projects. But they've come to the realization that this is what's causing this sprawl of not only products, but cost. And cost is not just a hard cost. It's the soft cost as well of operationalizing, keeping it up to date, patching, maintaining, you know, all, everything that goes into it. So, so one of the biggest things that I've, seen is, you know, the, the CTOs, CIOs are coming to us and asking us, well, how can we just reduce all this vendor sprawl? And can you help us where we could take things down to just three, four, five strategic vendors that we can leverage in a platform, leverage in a SaaS model where my, my team doesn't have to maintain th- those types of things are what I'm seeing happening more and more where, where we're able to innovate. And there's some really cool quotes out there from some pretty big name CIOs that are predominant health systems that everybody kind of looks towards where they're talking about being able to, or or looking for ways to leverage platforms, especially SaaS, where the, the, we take the, the weight off of our, our, you know, even shrinking IT staff and teams, nobody's getting budgeted to hire more heads, let alone maintain what they currently have. Yeah. It's funny. You know, the other thing that I think we're seeing Tamar, especially with some of our relationships in healthcare is the, and this is kind of the universal buzz road. If, if I had two buzzwords for the day, first is zero trust. And now it's actually three, the third is architecture, which I like that, but that's not a buzzword. <laughs> the second would be artificial intelligence or AI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that folks in healthcare are thinking about, and in some cases leveraging AI for a lot of the administrative stuff, filling out forms, yep. listening to conversations, automatically prompting for fills, arranging schedules, a lot of that stuff because of some of the things that we were talking before, staffing, nursing shortages, but also giving physicians the ability to focus back on quality of care and the stuff they really like doing. So yep. while in one case it's helping, I think, do more with less, it's also helping doctors and patients develop stronger relationships if, if it's done the right way. But I, I don't know, are you guys seeing the same thing? Yeah. I mean, that's, this is leading back to what Houdini was talking about, right? These are the types of tools that significantly help enhance and enable the, the workforce. But here's another term that you can steal. AI is a double-edged scalpel. 
right? So yes. the reason why I say that is, you know, it's very, very good to implement. Like everybody's looking at it, how they can leverage AI to, to do more with less, to help my care providers, et cetera. Everybody wants to use AI. Most people haven't even figured out how to leverage AI yet, but the thing we need to consider is we want to enable the workforce to use it, but we also need to make sure that we're using it in a way that's secure because there's a lot of yes. risk that gets introduced when you're using these AI tools where there's yep. a lot more potential for public you know, exposure to certain things. So we, we have to do things in a secure way. And a lot of people aren't thinking about the security risk involved in it. And that's, a, that's why it's a double-edged scalpel where, yes, you're going to use it to, surgically to improve the workforce. But now I need to put on the cyber hat and figure out how do I do this and enable my workforce in a way that doesn't expose me to even more risk. Yeah, I was going to say, just to add to that too, I mean, if you think about it, and Tamara, you mentioned it around the user experience, in my opinion, AI should be used behind the scenes so that doctors and nurses can have more user experience and user interactions with the patients. Because I think that's the key thing that keeps people wanting to go to a certain hospital system or a certain doctor. If they have the right experience with those doctors or nurses, they're going to want to come back and see that same person. Whereas I feel like AI, a lot of times people are trying to make AI do their work for them. And I think it needs to be a behind the scenes type of work versus instead of a doctor or a nurse. I mean, I'm even seeing AI in certain discussions I'm having with CIOs in some areas of the country where they're not just looking at it for the workforce, but also for innovation for their health system, right? So they're leveraging right. or looking to build AI looking at the data and looking at health records and images and and not only for their own system, but sharing it with other systems so that other systems can, you know, because if we think about AI and the, the LLMs, the language learning models, and they're only as good as the data that's in them. And, and so right. if they're working hand in hand with other systems in the region, they can get better diagnosis and better output out of them. But again, that's the double-edged scalpel. We need to do it securely so that the information isn't going out and the right people are accessing it and all that good stuff. So that's innovation is another big way because everybody wants to innovate. Everybody wants to pivot. Everybody wants to be able to, to tap the latest and greatest things that they can provide care with. And this is another way to do it. So, Tamara, what, from a Zscaler's perspective, what does Zscaler do or, or have you guys done to kind of help solve this kind of do more with less paradigm? Are there things that are kind of no brainers or how do you guys approach this given that ask from a client? Yeah, this is where when we think about Zscaler and we think about doing more with less, it really crosses many different teams. And this is why CIOs particularly love having these conversations with us and CTOs that think broadly across an ecosystem and building systems across multiple systems, because what we offer is think about how most people would look at Zscaler and they think, oh, zero trust. Okay, great. But beyond that, it's really a platform that does a lot of the cybersecurity stuff for outbound, connecting to applications. People don't realize that there's also a big data protection component where we do endpoint, inline, at rest, in transit, Casby, all the different ways that we need to do data protection, even email, and being able to do that where you're taking out multiple point products and you're looking at, well, I have two or three data protection products because one's doing this and the other one's looking at that and the other one's looking at this. And I have to look at multiple tools and write policies in different ways. So collapsing all that into a single platform, that's, that's our big way that we help to do more with less is 
the platform, right? We're here to help you with not only the zero trust access, but we're streamlining a lot of other parts of your environment, which are things like infrastructure costs. We're taking out the cost of Citrix, which everybody, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said a vendor, but we're, you know, this is a major vendor that everybody's feeling pain for right now. And guess what? You can transition off of that because we're able to, you know, provide what Citrix does as part of the platform and you know, removing applications off the internet so that there's no longer an attack vector there where if, even if the vulnerabilities exist or zero days or misconfigurations, I can't even knock on that front door as an attacker. Infrastructure costs of things like MPLS networks, VPN costs, big giant security stacks. If you're backhauling everything through your data center to provide security, that's a, a big cost. If you're not doing that, then the cost of the risk exposure because your remote radiologists and others that are working remotely are out there with full internet access with no security because they're not backhauling through and they're bringing stuff in that way. So removing those costs are a big key component as well as the obvious cost, which is the point product reductions, removing all the extra hardware and firewalls and all these things that just aren't needed anymore once you've modernized. From a soft cost perspective, we're talking about operationalizing it, the cost of maintaining it. When we go from a version three to a version 3.5 or four, your IT staff are sleeping at night, not waking up at midnight on a Saturday to do this, this upgrade because everything's SaaS. We're doing it for you. No patching, no maintaining. It's much simpler to just have one place to you just write your policy on what you want to, to you know, have access or not and let us do all the heavy lifting and maintaining and patching and everything else that you don't have to worry about. So there's many components of this. What I will say is most people don't want to believe it, you know, out of a vendor's mouth. There's a report that exists that we can share the link with. It's an ESG report. It's a third-party report, and it talks through all the different ways companies have leveraged a platform like us to really reduce many costs of technology costs, operational efficiency costs. The user experience is a huge component. When we're saving a doctor 10 minutes a week on something and you multiply that by multiple doctors across your, your organization, those numbers add up to big dollars because we're making those users way more efficient and happier. <laughs> the number of remote radiologists that literally come up to our CTO of the organization say they've given them a hug. I was like, thank you so much. Like the, my life is so much easier. <laughs> well, you know, everything happens so much faster now, et cetera. Like there's, there's a lot of these costs that are both hard and soft that you can read about in this report on where we really help organizations do more with less. Yeah, and we'll add that report to the marketing of this podcast so folks can get gain access to it. I took a look at that. One of the things that I also found besides the, the stuff you were saying, Tim, was that the shift in time spent on the basic kind of security tasks, right? So mm-hmm. by leveraging Zscaler, I think in the illustration I saw, it's like almost like a 70% reduction in yeah. kind of time spent, which means you can reallocate some of that time to doing more, you know, higher value added tasks with the security team, which is also, I think, a big plus, especially today. And these are actual numbers that because it was third party generated, we didn't give them anything. They literally would interview our customers and find out, well, how long do you guys spend on this? And how much does this cost? And they went through and the, the whole big interview process with various parts of the organization. And they came up with these numbers because they found out what the real costs were for both the hard and soft costs. And they came up with these numbers. And, and it's not just one customer. This is an interview of many, many, many customers. And we even have our own business value assessment team that can really help with this as well. So if you're trying to do more with less, 
and you're interested in, I don't know, VPN replacement, something very basic, but you want to understand, well, how can I also incorporate data protection and a lot of these other components into this? We can actually walk you through and show, show you over a three-year span as you phase out other tech, you know, this is what your upfront cost is, year one re return on investment, year two, year three overall, and walk you through all these hard and soft cost savings, again, using your own numbers based off of these interviews. That's great. So I guess I had a couple questions and then we'll close things out. First is the Zscaler capabilities sound great. Are there, can you maybe give a quick example of somebody you walk, walked into and this is kind of the condition, this is kind of how Zscaler helped and this is kind of where they are now, just to kind of add some color to some of the things we were talking about kind of parenthetically. Yeah, I mean, a common first type of engagement that there's a couple of use cases that we shared with you. And again, we won't call out any providers specifically, but they came to us with one simple specific kind of target. Like I want to replace my secure web gateway as just one simple example. And what they've come to realize is as we're doing these, you know, proof of value and we're doing deployments eventually, they just end up seeing, okay, well, it's actually doing significantly more for us. And they end up realizing way more value than they thought of. And this is a couple of the use cases that you have in your mind where they're saying, okay, not only am I replacing this specific box and, you know, we're, we're transitioning to something SaaS, but all of a sudden, like our reduction in risk has significantly improved. We're seeing all these phishing attempts blocked that we're making it through our existing pass-through technologies. We're, we're blocking all sorts of malware and all these things that we're actually passing through the existing security infrastructure. So they end up seeing significantly more value, even though they may have came, come to the table with one point type of use case and realized uh, that, look, we can help with so much more. Uh, the latest now is they're starting to turn on uh, a couple of these use case, case studies that we shared with you that are joint customers of ours. They're seeing, oh, well, I can actually turn on data protection without deploying anything else new, right? The agent's already deployed. Everything's done. I can just turn that switch on and start protecting data, both at rest in motion and, you know, in the, in the cloud and you know, with CASB, et cetera. So these, those use cases that we talked about, they usually start somewhere smaller, like let me just protect the users or let me protect, you know, VPN replacement and remote workers or whatever. And then they very quickly realize how much more they can do with less and start being able to turn off other things by just simply turning a switch on. They've already deployed it. So, yeah, I mean, there's one last use case that came to mind too, and we actually didn't previously discuss this, but it was a children's healthcare system that, you know, they deployed us only for remote use cases, remote users, and pulled a report and had a meeting and executive brief with them and realized like, hey, you realize that, you know, I'm finding all of these botnets and things being blocked going through our cloud. I was like, but you're only turning us on when you're remote. That means while they're on their network, on your network, they're getting infected still. It's passing through somehow and they're not getting blocked. And then we'll see it and turn it, you know, once they go remote again and start blocking it again for you. So it opened up a lot of eyes where they realized, okay, I actually need this protection full time and, and doing this both on site and remote and start realizing that these existing security infrastructures are unfortunately passing things through because things are encrypted. They don't have full decryption on and things just make it through security stacks that's currently exist, even though I've spent millions on it and we're able to help again, reduce more costs because now that we're protecting against it and we're reducing that stuff, they can start switching off more of those costs of these other point products. 
I think the the one thing that uh, uh, I would hope too is uh, this ESG report. After folks take a look at some of the data, it really gives you an idea of the art of the possible, given some of the return on the investment of kind of going down the path. Even giving you're doing more with less, you, you there are huge returns. I think both near term and long term by uh, kind of making the decision to kind of go down this journey. But closing thoughts, Houdini, Tamer, before we close this discussion out. Yeah, I think it's good to hear, from, you know, your perspective, Tamer, on what you're hearing from clients and what we're hearing. And it sounds very similar, right? It's like, how do we do more with less? What are the first steps to get started? So I think having those data points, like we mentioned, we'll put in the podcast when we release it, the link. It's going to really help our users understand like, okay, this is what I, this is what I need to do. This is what I should do first. So I think it was a great discussion today. So I really appreciate your time. No, thank you. I, what I'll say is if you're trying to do more with less, a way to start really, it, it is a mindset modernization. Any of these types of conversations are difficult because we face a lot of inertia and inertia can come from lower levels as well. Like somebody spent, 10 years of their life building this thing out and they don't want to change. And it ha that inertia can only be overcome from the top CIO, C CTO, CISO, where we have to mandate this modernization. So we have to have that mindset already in place in order to do more with less. And then we also have to be able to consider, you know, doing things differently because if we're going to try and do more with less using ex existing ways, we do it and just wrapping it with something prettier, newer, but it's still the same technology. It's still the same stuff. Like you're, you're just not going to get where you need to get to. It's still going to cost. It's still going to take a lot of pain. So those are the big ways to get started is really, it's all about the mentality of it. And then, you know, start having the conversation and maybe we start small. Maybe we start on a phase one where you can start realizing a lot. Uh, maybe it's VDI because you're getting bent over backwards from, from those expensive costs. And how do we, you know, transition out of uh, publicly exposed VDI and remove that vulnerability and cost and, and architecture, et cetera. So wherever you think you can start based off of existing funding is a good way to start. But just realize that when you go into this, you should have a platform in mind. You should have a way to reduce many other point products and many other uh, costs for you. Otherwise, you're going to fall into the same trap of multiple products doing multiple things and which costs a lot of money, both physically and soft costs. Well, Tamara, again, thank you for your time and insights. Great conversation. We'll probably work with you on some other uh, topics, I think, that I know our listeners would be interested in hearing about. So yeah. stay tuned, those who are listening, for more interesting, amazing conversations. And Houdini, I didn't say your first, your last name at the beginning. <laughs> I, know, I know it probably, I'm going to say it now at the end, because I know I'm going to get it right. Abtahi. There you correct? go. Nice. <laughs> right. That's a great way to yeah. end. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Thank you guys for having everybody. me. I appreciate you, uh, Tamer. Thanks again, Houdini. Uh, our listeners, stay tuned for our next version of Ahead on Healthcare.